Hi again, everybody. Stuart Gandalf here. Today we are doing another podcast, and this time we're featuring my good friend, colleague, uh, media confidant, Charlie Dental. Charlie is the media buyer and planner and head of that department for traditional advertising for our agency, Healthcare Success. And I have invited him today because we were recently speaking with a client about uh, the opportunities with sports marketing and sports sponsorship uh, in his uh, city. And we had such a good conversation. And this is something we do for our clients from time to time. I thought I would share or have Charlie share some of his insights uh, from his illustrious career. Um, Welcome, Charlie. Stuart, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited about uh, having this conversation with you. Um, Not only have I been a media buyer forever on the traditional side, but I've always been an avid sports fan. So when you combine the two for a strategic marketing campaign for a client, uh, it really makes me excited and gets me excited to do some of these things for potential clients. And most of them are, are extremely successful as you'll hear some stories from me as we go along today. So Charlie, you know, you've been around for, I don't know, a lot of years <laughs> and, uh, you know, seem to know about everything there is to know about external advertising, but this idea of sports marketing, first of all, let's talk about why this is even topical. What are some of the reasons to even consider sports marketing? Well, clearly, if you wanted to look at the most simplest of answers to that question, it really is uh, an extremely strong brand awareness campaign type of marketing for all kinds of clients. I mean, first and foremost, we have to recognize that it is brand awareness. But secondly, and I think this probably gets a lot of advertisers and media buyers like myself excited, it's the fact that you are engaging in a partnership or an alliance with not only a team or a, uh, or a stadium or a broadcast affiliation, not only with them, but you're also aligning yourself with an audience that traditionally is very passionate, very loyal to their sports teams. And as a result, when you align yourself with that team or with that entity, those people who are followers of that sports team they carry over that passion and their loyalty to advertisers. So the two big advantages of sports marketing in general is one, you're going to create great exposure from a brand standpoint. And secondly, the type of audience you're reaching within the elements of that sports team or stadium um, is, is a very passionate group of people. And they respond not only to the team in a passionate way, but they also respond to the services and products that they believe or they perceive to be associated with the team. Excellent. And so when we talked offline, we talked about there's really four ways that you'd want to or four opportunities when it comes to this whole broad topic of sports marketing. So I'd like you to, first of all, share what those four are. So I think the one that is most obvious to the layman out there is naming rights to a stadium. So for example, if you look around the country, SoFi Stadium, Allegiant Stadium, T-Mobile Arena, these are very high-priced, multi-million dollar marketing campaigns that are done whereby every time you mention the name of a stadium, that particular name of that advertiser is on there. So if you look at the four um, components of sports marketing that you referenced, Stuart, 
The first one would be entering into what we would call a full engagement partnership with a team. That could be any team, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, whatever, soccer. Um, entering into a marketing partnership with the team. And the strongest component of that is the fact that you would obtain licensing rights to the team's name and logo to use in your own advertising. That's important. The second opportunity is to actually go to the stadiums themselves who conduct concerts as well as sports events and all kinds of events that go on in that stadium or arena and create a advertising marketing campaign with the stadium marketing person to whereby there is signage throughout the year that the advertiser can have amongst scoreboard mentions and various things like that, that you can have in the stadium, whether it's a sporting event or it's a concert or any kind of other event that is held at the stadium. The third component is you can avoid the stadiums you can avoid the teams, but you can create what I would call a perceived marketing campaign by which the advertiser is perceived to be associated with the team. And the way you do that is by going through the broadcast affiliates, the radio and TV stations that, that air the games uh, on an ongoing basis into the playoffs, and you comprise a marketing promotional campaign that makes it appear like you are aligned with the teams, but in effect, you're creating a in-game marketing promotion that allows the advertiser to be part of the ongoing game action. And you do this through the radio stations or through the TV stations. And the final type of sports marketing that I think everybody loves because it's a great ego stroke for the advertisers because they enjoy the partnerships is to actually uh, make a deal or an arrangement with a player of a specific team. Now, obviously there is um, expense issues with the players. As long as you don't get their agents involved, which tend to be more money and you just work directly with the players, whether you go through the team or with the player directly, uh, and that player becomes in effect an endorsement personality for your product or service that you can use in your various marketing. So those are the four types of approaches you could take. Now there's a lot of detail within each of those, but those are the four ways you can approach sports marketing. You know, when we get into this topic of sports marketing, you know, we work with different kinds of um, healthcare entities, right? We work with hospitals, we work with practices, we work with, you know, corporations and you know, device, pharma, all kinds of different people or different types of clients. Uh, one thing that may come up is, well, is this marketing or sports marketing really appropriate for our audience? Are we reaching, you know, for example, if we're in women's healthcare and we're going after, um, you know, a men's sports team, is this really a good fit? Tell us about that. I mean, tell how do you evaluate, is this, you know, team, stadium, uh, player or whatever, an appropriate fit for this particular client. Just like any other media buy that you would make under any other kinds of conditions, you always first, before you even enter into a sports marketing partnership, you, you clearly have to evaluate who follows that team. Who are these people that are actively watching this team on TV? 
going to their games, buying their merchandise? Who are they? What, what's their gender? What's the predominant gender? What age are they? Just like everything else, you certainly have to evaluate all of that before you say a specific healthcare client is appropriate for this marketing. Now, one of the things that a lot of people would ask right off the bat is if you are a female-oriented type of client, whether it be healthcare or anything else, why am I advertising with a sports team or why am I engaging in sports marketing? Well, the first thing you have to look at is the involvement over the last 25 to 30 years as to who now attends sporting events, who watches the Super Bowl, who watches Sunday afternoon football, who watches baseball, who watches hockey. And the more you research all of that, you will see over time how the gender split has evolved substantially to where there are more and more females who are participating, whether they are with a significant other who's a male or not, they are participating more in sports viewership and sports um, activities. You just look at the youth of today, Stuart. As you all know, I mean, we can look around the state of California. Uh, we can go out on a Saturday morning or a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning and look at all of the youth sports and just examine everybody that is surrounding that youth event. How many girls are playing various types of sports that you would never have imagined they would have been playing 35 or 40 years ago? How many parents are on the sidelines, both male, female, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, that are watching these events? These are not just people that follow their own kids in sports. They follow right through to the professional level, to the minor league level. So sports marketing should not be perceived or thought as just strictly a male-oriented type of opportunity. There are significant female audiences that are watching and viewing and participating in team activities, uh, team merchandise that they purchase as well. So it, it's not much different. I mean, certainly you wouldn't want to take a healthcare client that was so inappropriate for a specific audience and say, hey, just because you're associated with the Las Vegas Raiders or the Los Angeles Rams that you should be into this marketing partnership if it doesn't make any sense demographically. You still have to look at that. So there is an analytical process that goes into this before you recommend. If you look at the healthcare business, it's unique in its way in itself because, I mean, obviously healthcare is one of the most talked about and prominent subject matters in the minds of everyone, whether it be a younger person in their 20s or an older person in their 70s. Healthcare is important to everyone across the board. It's, it's a way of life. You have to have it. You need it. And you need to understand it. So any healthcare client that is out there, for the most part, and there are exceptions, are going to have a specific broad appeal to an audience. And I think to some degree, sports marketing allows that to happen. So let's start off with the, uh, the sports teams where you're actually dealing with a team. You're an official sponsor. Um, tell us about, and I know you've you know, done examples of most of these or all of these kinds of ways of doing it, but let's talk about dealing with the teams. What's that like? Um, you know, what's involved? Um, you know, what can people expense or expect expense wise? Um, how, tell us about that. 
and maybe give some examples of how that works in the real world. Sure. So it's in a very it's a very extensive negotiating process because there's a lot of details and there are a lot of various partners. So for example, if you decided you wanted to partner with an NFL team, you have to remember that that NFL team's logos and rights to their names also belongs to the National Football League. It's not just the team. So when you enter into a partnership with a team, you want to you want to accomplish several things. Number one, you want to secure the licensing rights to their name and their logo to use in your advertising. And the way you do that, as an example, I did one with the New Orleans Saints years ago for a particular advertiser. And the best way we use their name and logo is we called ourselves the proud partner of the New Orleans Saints. So if you put up a billboard or a TV spot or a radio spot, we were able to use logos and the New Orleans Saints names, and we associated ourselves with the team as a partner of the team. That goes a long way to leverage success of an advertiser because then the consumers perceive us as to being part of the New Orleans Saints or whatever team you're doing. So that is one key component. The second component is to become involved in whatever promotional opportunities the team or charitable events that the team does throughout the year. The advertiser should piggyback on those events so that they are perceived as being part of the team's community efforts. That's another very important part. Another part of a team partnership would be how you establish yourself within the broadcasts of the actual games. Now, this differs if you went to the broadcast affiliate direct. If you go to the team and you incorporate your messaging within the broadcast, you then have a different component of reach and frequency within those broadcasts because you're actually working closely with the team. Now, when you look at all of those details, and there are more, there's signage, Within the arena, there is advertising in the programs. There's advertising on the back of the tickets that they issue to the consumers. But when you look at all of that, the most critical piece of all of that is the licensing rights to the logo and to the team name. That's what really gets you the credibility in your marketing. That's an expensive proposition. As, as money goes, it's expensive. But in terms of if you did a deal with, for example, the New Orleans Saints and you access their rights to the logo and to the name and you get all of these other components included in the arrangement and the partnership, you could be looking at over a year's time of an expense of your marketing of about two hundred to $250,000 to $300,000 a year. Now, you could take that further and higher, or you could lower it depending on what you get within the confines of that partnership. But frankly, most of that money is being allocated towards the licensing of the names and the logo. So that's one of the things that when we were talking to our client uh, last week that we had to remind him because he was really interested in doing this, but that's just the um, table stakes, right? You have to actually, if you're going to go ahead and sponsor, you have to, there's going to be a whole lot more advertising to leverage that. Tell us what you, how ways that you would leverage the team name and some of that media expense you might expense, expect. So the best way we found in our past history in working with some teams in leveraging that partnership is 
once again, the ability that every single piece of uh, material that you put out there from a marketing standpoint, you have the ability to associate yourself with that team uh, pending approval of the team as well as from the NFL or from the NHL if you're doing hockey or the NBA. But the ability to leverage all of the other components, it allows the advertiser to almost become a part of the everyday daily function of that team during a given season because you're so much a part of what that team is doing. You know, if, if you have 60,000 people packed into a stadium and you have signage and that signage says you're the proud partner of the New Orleans Saints or of the Las Vegas Golden Knights or of the Las Vegas Raiders, there's a significant impact in the mindset of a consumer to see that. The other thing is if you look at something that I thought was extremely strategic that we did years ago, is outside of some big football or baseball stadiums, you're always going to have an opportunity to access a billboard outside of the stadium, whether it's digital or static. If, you're, if you are an advertiser and on every game day with 60,000 people coming in and out of that stadium or traffic going by in the stadium and that billboard says, your, the name of your advertiser, what your products are, what your services are, and that you are a proud partner of the very team that plays in that stadium right next door to that billboard. That has significant brand impact on the consumer. Um, the other ways of leveraging any team partnership is because teams tend to want to participate in community activities particularly charitable activities, any advertiser that is a partner of a team that can piggyback on that, they're getting multiple aspects of promotion out of that. The fact that they are aligned with the team is important, but also the fact that they are participating together with that team in a charitable event or in a community event. So in effect, they're connecting with the community as part of the team they don't even look like they're a sole entity of an advertiser. They look like they're part of the team. So the consumer puts their names together. And I think that's invaluable to a successful marketing campaign. So there are numerous ways. Leveraging the broadcast rights are also another critical way you can do this. You're going to have so many more opportunities to participate in in-game action by partnering with the team, as well as participating in some advertising on their website, which is critical to a team. Uh, you, 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 Stuart, probably would know more than, than I, uh, the type of website traffic some of these sports teams get. And again, this is from a very loyal audience. So if your message is on the website, if you're promoting some sort of a display ad on the website, that also has a lot of leverage for you as part of the partnership. We've talked a little bit about the uh, engaging with the teams and some of the opportunities there and some of the credibility that comes with that. Let's talk about the stadiums. You mentioned, of course, the big, the big investment would be to sponsor the name of the stadium. But I think for most people or most companies and most you know, practices, hospitals, it's going to be more practical to advertise inside the stadium uh, for events. Tell us about that world, some of the ideas, maybe some creative uses you've seen, um, you know, pros and cons. I'd love to know more about that. 
So with, with stadiums or arenas, now when we talk about a stadium, let's make the example of a football stadium or a baseball stadium. When we talk about arenas, we're talking about a basketball arena uh, or a hockey arena. And when you look at the two, there's capacity differences, obviously. With football and baseball, you're talking about 45,000 to 60,000 people that can be packed into a stadium. With hockey and basketball, you're talking about 18,000 that are packed into an arena. So regardless of which one you choose, assuming that it's an appropriate demographic and venue for you, if you go to the stadiums direct, and every stadium and every arena has their own marketing department, they have a sales team that's out there selling advertising. Why do they do that? They're selling advertising to make money so that they could reasonably price their tickets to their consumers. Because remember, advertisers bring in money to them, and when they go out and they price their tickets to the consumers, if they don't have incoming revenue from outside resources, those ticket prices are going to go higher. So they got to have they got to balance that, and it's very important to the arenas and stadiums to have advertisers. So the question really then becomes, okay, so what does an advertiser do with a stadium? Forget about the naming rights of the stadium because that's a unique opportunity. Those are 10 or 20 year deals for multi-million dollar opportunities that these companies, uh, high profile companies pay like AT&T or Qualcomm. They pay for the naming rights. That's like a different animal. But when you want to come in with a reasonable, reasonable marketing plan with a stadium or arena, there's a couple of components that go into it. Number one is you are absolutely reaching more than just the 60,000 or 15,000 sports fan because there are other events that take place in those stadiums and arenas, whether it be concerts, whether it be seminars that are a large gathering, whether it be speeches, whether it be conventions, whatever they are, it's more than just the seasonality of the sports event. So signage within the stadium is there year, all, year round. It's not just during the time that the teams are playing. It's there for everything. So your signage is always visible in the corridors of the stadium or the arena. The other component is in just about every event that goes on, whether it be sports or non-sports or entertainment, every arena and stadium has a scoreboard that is going to be flashing something or the other during the course of that event. So the advertiser can participate in scoreboard, what I would call scoreboard mentions or scoreboard visibility. You can actually run a TV commercial on the scoreboard during an event or during a particular time when there's a pause in that event so that people who are in the stadiums can see that. The other opportunity is every event has a public address announcer, a person that is talking to the people in the stadiums or the arenas. That public address announcer can become almost like a radio announcer for you by delivering your advertising message during the course of those events. The other thing that stadiums will tend to do, they will allow an advertiser, if it's appropriate, to set up tables in the corridors of the stadium and arenas so that during intermission breaks and people are walking around, there's almost like a little kiosk that the advertiser can have to where they could staff with their staffers, their staffers pass out brochures, talk 
to people one-on-one who are in the stadium about their specific healthcare services and what they have to offer and how it might benefit families that come into the stadium or the arenas at that time. So the stadiums will allow you those multiple opportunities, but the key to the stadium deal is the fact that you are not just reaching those 60,000 people that come in every Sunday for a football game or that come in every game for a hockey game or a basketball game. You're reaching every event that goes on in that arena, of course, under normal times. Uh, during COVID, obviously, it's difficult, but uh, during normal times, there, is mu- there are multiple events that take place. And of course, you benefit from those crowds and those attendants. And those crowds are diversified because a concert may draw different people than, let's say, a sports event or uh, a, a truck. Um, what do you call those truck shows that they do? Uh, so there's different event, there's different audiences that come into these different events. So that I think is a big benefit. So great, Charlie. That was helpful. Let's talk about uh, advertising with the, uh, during the games and without going directly to the team or the stadium, but you're just advertising uh, and dealing directly with, for example, the radio station. Every professional sports team makes money on broadcasting rights. They sell the rights to broadcast their games to TV and radio stations. Radio stations pay big money for that. TV stations pay big money for that. And a lot of teams benefit from broadcast revenue. As a result, in just about every market, there are certain radio stations and certain TV stations that are the exclusive broadcast um, venues for specific teams. So, you, instead of going directly to the team or going directly to the stadium, now the opportunity exists where you pick up the phone and you call somebody that's a little bit more familiar to the media buyer. And that would be your radio station or your TV representatives that you normally would have a discussion with about advertising and media buys uh, in the past. And you work with their promotions department, you work with their sales team, and you work with their general managers. And what you want to try and do is you want to try to incorporate a marketing campaign that is perceived, and that's a key word. It's perceived by the consumer who's listening or watching that you are part of the team when technically you're not part of that licensing arrangement we talked about earlier. But the radio station is giving you an opportunity to incorporate various types of promotional opportunities within the games themselves, outside of the games when you do special features throughout the week. So for example, if there is a Rams report or a Raiders report or a Chargers report or a Yankees report on a specific radio station throughout the week, and there are a number of those that are available, you want to be in every single one of those shows to keep that consistency of alliance with that team through that radio or TV station. So you sponsor those particular segments throughout the week. You're part of every sports um, update that the station does throughout the week. You're part of the in-game broadcast. And one of the things I love to talk about, and we don't have time to get super creative in this particular discussion, Stuart, but I know a lot of radio stations help me with coming up with these promotions. Like if there is an in-game action that happens, so for example, let's take a baseball game. 
if, if a relief pitcher is called in by the manager in the seventh inning of a game and you're listening to the game on the radio, the announcer might say, this call to the bullpen is brought to you by, and then the advertiser message. If there is a power play in a hockey game, this power play is brought to you by, and then there's the message from the advertiser. Now, the key to that is making a connection somehow, either with words or actions or whatever, to where you can tie the specific service that the advertiser provides with the actual in-game play. So for, for example, if it's a call to the bullpen, well, maybe a phone company, for example, is an appropriate advertiser for that. So the radio stations and the TV stations allow you those opportunities on an ongoing, best, on an ongoing basis over a period of a full season and the playoffs to be part of that marketing partnerships with the stations that are perceived by the consumer to whereby that advertiser is almost part of the team. You know, it's great, Charlie, because the idea could be that, um, you know, for example, you're just talking about this, and this is part of the fun, and we could uh, certainly have done a number of these things before, but just thinking about, you know, relief pitchers. So imagine a gastroenterology group advertising, you know, about relief at that period. There's lots of ways or I guess exactly. or lots yeah. of other specialties. So you can have some fun with this and there's a million different examples. And so the creativity can come uh, from, you know, certainly the creative when we talk about the creative process and the messaging, but also just the creativity of working with the media buyer to come up with the appropriate opportunities. And that's some of the fun of what we do. So I love that. You know, Stuart, not only, it's not only the media buyer that's critical here is, but because the broadcast stations do so many of these, the one good thing is at your disposal when you do these types of deals with radio stations particularly, you have the full access to that station's promotions department. And those are the guys that you say, look, go into a room for a couple hours and come up with some great ideas for us. And we leave the work up to them. I mean, as a media buyer, I can assess it and evaluate it. But they're a promotions team that that's their job. Their job is to create these things. So that's also helpful. Now let's talk about the final broad category is the athletes themselves, whether they're currently playing or retired. Um, tell us a little about um, some of the opportunities there. So with athletes, um, and you know, I'm, I'm going to just kind of divert here a little bit to a humorous story. When I was a reporter back in the day, and I used to cover uh, the New York Yankees in New York, and I'd go to games and playoffs and interview people in the dugout and so forth and players. And the one thing I learned back in the 80s, and to some degree it's changed, sometimes for the better, sometimes not. But, you know, you just got to be, athletes are quite egotistical. Uh, they have a tremendous skill in what they do. They make a ton of money. And sometimes to find the right one is like looking at a needle in a haystack, for a needle in a haystack, you know, You've got to be, uh, you have to have the ability to know how to deal with these athletes. And one of the things that I've always made it a point is I try to stay away from their agents. And of course, if an agent hears this, they're probably not going to like that. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you do direct deal with the, with the player themselves, uh, you have a better chance of not only continuing communication directly with that player, but also saving yourself a little bit of money. So when you find an athlete, that you want as a spokesperson, you've got to be sure that their ego is in check. 
and that there's a balance to what this person is about. You've got to do a background check on them to make sure that they're representing your client in the most honorable and credible way. And by the way, there are times that I have looked at athletes in the past that I got really excited about offering up to a client only to find out that after I do the background check that they weren't exactly, they didn't have exactly the greatest of past histories. So you certainly don't want to align yourself with someone who's got some tarnished uh, background on, on himself or herself. Uh, but the, when you find the right one, and I'll give you some examples uh, of a current client that we have um, in Houston that we have done some uh, retired athletes who are associated with the Astros and the Rockets and the Houston Texans. But that person, that individual, number one, has to believe in the service or the entity that they are representing. That's important. Number two, they have to be credible in the community. They have to have a loyalty from the consumer base and the consumers have to trust that individual. So lots of times if you find a broadcaster who does sports games now on the air that used to be a former athlete and they are constantly in the living rooms of people or on the radio with people every day, those people are trusted to the consumer. So you got to find those types of athletes or former athletes. So for example, in Houston, one of the things, um, and I guess it's okay to mention the name of the client, but uh, we have a, a low T client in uh, Houston and uh, called Synergenics. And one of the things that we wanted to do with Synergenics, we wanted to find a former athlete who was well-known in the community, who is now in their 40s and 50s, which matched the age demographics for Synergenics, and was currently visible in the market. So we went after a former pitcher of the Astros. His name is Steve Sparks. We went after a former player of the World Championship Rockets when they won the championship back in the day, uh, Matt Bullard. We also went after a couple of radio personalities who have an association with some of the sports teams. Those people provided credibility because not only were they great athletes, not only did they have a super connection to the community, they were credible they were family type guys. Uh, they were articulate in the way they spoke about the client. So I would say, getting back to the original question, an athlete is great if you can find the right one. And um, it takes a little bit of work. You got to make sure you do your homework and you got to make sure that the athlete is 100% on board and you should introduce that athlete to your client. Make sure the athlete understands what kind of services they're providing? Are they comfortable with those services? Do they like the facility? Do they like the people? Do they get along with the staff? And then have them come back and talk on the air about the services and products that are offered. Um, that's the best way to approach it. Well, Charlie, this was fantastic and fun as I knew it would be. Um, as we wrap up here, are there any last you know bits of advice or things that spring to mind that, you know, if you, as you start evaluating this, like if, when a client, maybe perhaps think of it as a client, you know, just um, maybe heard this podcast, but had some quick questions, like how would you help them think it through? What, what should they be thinking about? Well, I think the first thing I would say is be very open-minded about sports marketing. Just because the word sports is in there, don't evaluate it and put it in a certain bucket and think that it's isolated and you're not going to reach your audience. You know, you should, first of all, be open-minded about the idea. 
because, you know, if we think back on traditional media uh, over the many years, everybody thinks TV, radio, billboards, whatever, print. And of course, now we've got the involvement of digital. So there's a whole new world of marketing here. But sports marketing should not be perceived as some sort of one-way street in terms of an audience. So I'd say be open-minded, number one. Number two is ask yourself the question or do the appropriate research as to if you're going to engage with a specific entity, a team, a stadium, whatever it is, do the appropriate research. Don't just say, oh, I'm excited. I can be associated with the New York Yankees or with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Just because that excites you it doesn't give you a reason that you have to be part of that marketing campaign. You need to do your homework. So I would suggest anybody who thinks about this form of marketing should do their homework as well. The third thing, maybe this is the most important. And I usually, would, I like to say this sometimes in a very diplomatic way to clients, is what is your expectation? If you're thinking about sports marketing, what is your expectation of what this is going to do for you? Try to understand what the relevance uh, and importance of a marketing campaign like this is really all about. It is about branding. You know, don't think that if you put your name up on a stadium and you call yourself uh, SoFi Stadium, that all of a sudden, after one day, everybody's going to run and buy into your services or products. That's not what this is meant to do. This is meant to provide solid brand awareness and increase your level of market share and awareness over time. So have an expectation going in as to the advantages of what this is. And of course, finally, on a humorous note, if you're a client who loves sports and you like to have your ego stroked, isn't it great to be part of a sports team in your community that you follow and that you're passionate about? And that it really does satisfy your ego when you talk to your friends and say, hey, I'm a partner of the Rams or the Chargers or the Dodgers or whoever. Uh, and that does a lot for you from a publicity standpoint and a public relations standpoint. And there's a little bit to that. A lot of people sometimes go into sports marketing, especially when they align themselves with teams, because it's an ego stroke. They like it. But from a business perspective, you got to separate those two. And you got to make sure that your money's being spent wisely. So that's probably the best advice I can give anyone. Uh, another thing, if you're working with a B2B audience, I've had a lot of fun with in the past is uh, renting out boxes, not even for the full se season, but there's a lot of power, you know, where we've had events with uh, here in Southern California at the um, Kings, at the Lakers, at the Angels, where you have a sports box. And, a, you know, it's, if you have sort of a VIP crowd, you're trying to schmooze. Um, for the cost of a box, which, you know, might be 10,000 catered. We had um, the Lakers, um, one time we did one where they had two or three Laker girls who, by the way, turned out to be college-educated, super articulate, fantastic at dealing with business people. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, sort of a stereotype. These are really smart, engaging people. Um, you know, really is a hit. So that's another kind of offshoot. It's not a traditional advertising program, but it's a B2B um unique opportunity. Um, Dude, so, I, will, I will say this on, on, on that sure, subject matter. Uh, as a media buyer over the many years when I've set up a lot of these deals with a lot of different advertisers, uh, part of the media world that's always been fascinating to me, it is a very schmoozy type of partying type business. 
And I'll tell you one thing, it's always great when you do these deals and you can be invited to one of those suites you were referring to and, and have all the food and the drinks that you want and enjoy uh, the company of other people, including your advertiser, as well as watching a sporting event. I mean, yes, there's a lot of fringe benefits. You know, you'll get tickets, et cetera. You'll get merchandise, all this other stuff. Uh, so there is a lot of benefits to that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, no, it, it's fun. There's lots of different ways of doing this. That's part of the creativity and, you know, makes our job fun. It's why we do this. So on that note, the um, uh, I do appreciate our listeners listening. For those of you, uh, many of our listeners, you know, I'm always talking about digital, digital, digital. You know, it's, we really are a digital first agency, but we are an integrated agency. And so we do uh, traditional advertising is a big, big part of our business. And Charlie you know, I've done this business for many, many years, and uh, Charlie is just fantastic in terms of his skill set. I remember we always laugh about uh, one of our oncology clients. We were talking about which bus bench outside of the subway station in Jersey, you know, was a good opportunity. Charlie knows that level of detail. So if you're interested in either sports sponsorships or traditional advertising, uh, feel free to call us and, um, you know, traditional advertising is part of it. You'll get to meet uh, probably Charlie and me talking or some of our other people. So, hey, um, thanks again, Charlie. Uh, it's been great having you. We'll have to do this more often. We have so many fun stories to talk about. We really but do. I, thought, I enjoyed this, Stuart. This was fun. And this kind of hits home for me. So I like this subject matter. Yeah, no, I just thought this was a fun one because this is the kind of thing that's not on the beaten path. And, you know, here we're talking about this stuff. And we do a number of team uh, and individual players uh, sponsorships and different things we've done over the years and so it's just I, it's something that most people don't talk about they don't really know about and this is super instructional so thanks for joining me Charlie. 